God really knows how to execute a plan. I don't always know how to execute a plan, but God always knows how to execute a plan. We're going through a series called Jesus Quotes, and we're actually looking where Jesus will quote from the, some of the Psalms. And so it's, I, I think it's, it's pretty cool when you think about it, like <clears throat> Jesus on earth walking as fully human and fully God leans into the scriptures, which makes me think about the scriptures, like the value to them, like, like Jesus like leaned into them and, and saw himself in the midst of them. And in the midst of it all, he saw God's plan being worked out. And here's what's intriguing to me about, about it. Jesus, as he's like looking through them, he sees himself in it. And God is doing something through history. And sometimes, it, sometimes we're like, God, I don't really understand what you're doing. And sometimes there's things like as a human being, something hits your life, something that you go through and like, God, I don't know where you are in this. God, where's the plan in all of this? God, what are you up to in this world? Like you turn on the news, you're like, ah, what is, what is going on? And yet at the same time, God has a plan and his plan will find its fulfillment in Jesus. And somehow it not only has always worked out according to his plan, but I also know in faith that it will work out completely to his plan, that there's things that Jesus has done, there's things that Jesus is doing, and there's things that Jesus will do. And there's, there's assurance in that. There's conviction in that. So as we go through this, we always do a memory verse as we do a series together. And the memory verse comes from Luke chapter 24. And it's like this principle. Um, Jesus is saying that everything God has been saying from the beginning of time up till him and then after him is being fulfilled in him. And so we're going to read it together. Um, read it loud. Will everybody read it loud with me? Like, like say it with a smile on your face. This is the word of God. This is the plan of God being executed in our world. So, so I, just, I just invite you. Like, let's, let's read it together because I love to hear it like, like loud voices in a room. Here we go. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, I'm not sure if I even understand how cool that is. I, I just finished going through the book of Leviticus, which is something. Let me tell you guys, reading through the book of Leviticus is something. Like, and by that I mean, it's not going to be the first book of the Bible you're ever going to want to read. But it's, it's all about God's law. It's all about how God is telling his people to live within the land. It's all about all of these dietary and hygienic stuff, all the stuff going on. And you're like, God, what in the world is all of this? And yet Jesus will say, all that was written about the law, all that is written in the law of Moses, find its fulfillment in me. That's intriguing. He'll go on to say everything that the prophets talked about. And if you look at what some of the prophets talked about, um, many times they will, will bring correction to Israel. Many times Israel will kind of wander away, and sometimes we need voices in our lives that help bring us back. And if you've got a voice in your life that, that brings you back sometimes and, and gives you a little bit of correction, that's what the prophets were meant to do. But some of the prophets will also speak about a coming hero that Israel will see. And they'll speak about how God, how God will um, meet us in the predicament that we find ourselves in, and with a mighty hero, he will, he will come and save. And so a lot of prophets will talk about this, and, and they will look to him as, they'll call him the Messiah, the, one who, the anointed one, the one who is going to come. And so the prophets are like longing for and looking for the time when the Messiah will arrive on the scene. And so they're looking for him, and Jesus will say in Luke chapter 24, all that was written about me in the law, and all that was written about the prophets finds its fulfillment to me. And then you get the Psalms. And you get the Psalms. Well, here's what's intriguing to me about Jesus. Here's what's intriguing to me about our whole story and the story that we're in. The, the scriptures have been written by so many different people at so many different time periods in so many different um, situations. By, and, and so you get the psalmist who's, you got a poet king who's writing. You have these other guys who are writing. Some of it is wisdom. Some of it is like pain. 
Like, like you may not always want to start in Leviticus, but the Psalms are absolutely beautiful. Because there are moments when we're at our highest of highs and there are psalms about, God, we praise you for how great you are. And there are psalms that are at the lowest of lows. God, where in heaven's name are you at this moment? And here's what Jesus will say. Everything written in the psalms has been fulfilled in me. I don't know about you, that's intriguing. Jesus is saying that all of human history and everything that God has been doing from the beginning of creation up until him and now beyond him is finding fulfillment in him, that he is the center of all things. Ephesians will say that in Jesus, all things hold together. History itself is anchored and rooted in him. And here's what I would say about Jesus. Jesus, if that is all true, which I take it as is, that is a lot to process. Jesus is a lot to process. That's okay. I think sometimes in church, we are uncomfortable with mystery. We're uncomfortable with wonder. We want answers. We want Jesus to be this way or that way or this way or that way. And to say something like Jesus is a lot to process leaves us like, oh, no, tell me. Tell me what to believe and I'll believe it. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. And yet Jesus, there's something about Jesus. There's something about who he is and his nature. Like if he truly is the center of all things, that if in him all things hold together, then, then my mind, then this mind is never going to get all, all the way around it. I'm never going to understand it. And the more that I've got him in this little box that I put him in, and I'm like, I take my Jesus out. Here, there's a little story. Anyway, I take my Jesus out and I make him do what I want and say what I want or my expectations. Jesus, you got to do exactly what I'm going to do. The more I start to understand, oh no, Jesus is way different than me. That's okay. Because that's what worship is. Worship is this praise of God. You are so much bigger than me. That's what faith is. Faith is, man, I am facing some mountains, some giants, and I feel like a grasshopper in their eyes. But Jesus, I trust that you are bigger, that you are more sufficient, that you are a lot to process. This circumstance is a lot to process. This problem is a lot to process. My kids, they're a lot to process. Like, you fill in the blank of whatever you... My marriage, it's a lot to process. I can't figure it all out. All of this is... Our world is a lot to process. Jesus is a lot to process. And that's okay. The religious leaders are struggling with Jesus in Jesus' day. They can't figure him out. They can't figure him out because he's saying things that, that he's the one who's come to save the lost. That he, when he's lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. That salvation can be found in no one else except through him. And so he's saying a lot of things that the Savior, the Messiah, the one that they're looking for, they would expect to be saying, but the things that he is doing isn't really matching what he's saying. In their estimation. Because they're saying if you are the Messiah... You wouldn't be coming against the religious establishments. You're supposed to be your buddy-buddy with us. We're going to rule beside you. And, and Jesus at the same time is, no, you guys are abusing people. You guys are not... You guys are, are, have fallen in love with the law of God. You've fallen out of love with God, and you've lost people in the process. And Jesus says, I'm not going to be any part of that. And so they're like, well, we've got to do something about this guy. The problem is he's gaining the crowds. The problem is they're seeing his miraculous powers at work as he's healing people and helping people and loving people. And so there's this whole predicament of we've got to do something about Jesus. And so here's what they try to do. They try to trap him. Which doesn't seem all that wise plan. If, if, if he is the God of creation, to try to, to trap him seems like you're only going to get yourself in trouble. I've tried to trap things before. I remember when I was a kid, I, was, I grew up on a camp, and there wasn't a whole lot of kids around other than my siblings, and sometimes you get frustrated with them, and you're just done with them, and so I decided I was going to catch a rabbit. Don't judge me, I don't know. Little boys, enough said. 
And I think I'd watched a lot of like Bugs Bunny and Tom and Jerry and all those healthy things for kids about how to handle conflict. I'd watched all of those things, and, and I decided I was going to catch myself a rabbit. You know, I, I don't know why. I don't know where this came from. I, was, I don't even know how old I was. I, I, I remember um, I, saw, I saw a little trap where you get a bucket and you get a stick and you get a carrot, and you put the, the carrot under the bucket. Have any of you ever seen this well well-crafted, well-engineered trap. Anybody ever see this? You, you, and and you, put the, you put the carrot underneath, and, and, and then you put a string on the stick. And I remember, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to get fishing line. I'm going to get fishing line so the rabbit can't even see the string. And then I realized, no, they eat carrots, so their eyes must be really good. So that, that may not even matter. And so I remember this. I remember how silly this was. I, I actually put the carrot on a plate. I guess I wanted my rabbit to eat in style, or I wanted to trick him. I said, hey, carrot on a plate here. Here's the... I remember... Rolling. I, had, I had seen no rabbits for weeks, by the way. It's not like there were rabbits just hopping around the camp or anything. It's just I wanted to catch something. And I, spoiler alert, or nothing ever. I didn't see a rabbit the entire day. But I thought about the futility. The futility of what the religious leaders are doing. I mean, we know it. We know it as we have come to believe who Jesus is and know who Jesus is, but to watch humankind try to trap God through questions and because they don't understand him and they don't get him and they're struggling with, we can't process you, Jesus, because Jesus, you were just too much to process. And I've seen it in our world, too. You've seen it with people that you know who are struggling to process Jesus and they're trying to, they're trying to maneuver and, and trap and, and try, to, try to logically try to make... And, and, and we have a hard time saying, no, Jesus is just a lot to process. So here... We're starting in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. And their trap looks about as good as my trap. Actually, they're probably a little better than my trap. But. So here's one, of their, here's one of the ways that they do it. Um, they say, Jesus, should we pay taxes? And this seems like a really smart trap. It's a really smart trap because if he says, yes, you should pay taxes, well, then certainly he's not the, not the Messiah, the one who's going to bring Israel to nationalistic power. If, if he's going to support the Romans, why would he possibly support the occupying powers? And so if he pays taxes to Caesar, and if he tells you to pay taxes to Caesar, well, he's just one of, he's just one of them. At the same time, if he says no... Then they can go to the Romans and say, hey, this guy is raising up a group of people who are going anti the Roman government. You see, you, you see the trap? So they throw a coin at Jesus, and, or, or Jesus says, uh, show me a coin. And he says it brilliantly. What do you do? Do you pay taxes to Caesar? He says, here, here's the coin. Whose head is on this coin? It's, well, Caesar's head. And then Jesus says this. He says, I will give to Caesar what's Caesar's. They can't trap him. They come with other traps. There's many different other traps that they will come, but ultimately... Jesus will do a Jesus thing, a very Jesus thing, is he'll turn and he'll ask them a question. And the question that he asks them makes the little wheel icon that's on your computer. Remember the old computers when you would dial up? <laughs> you dial up the... Anybody remember dialing up the... Raise your hand if you remember dialing up the... You, know, <laughs> you remember that sound? <laughs> that's kind of it. That was not the best, right? I could probably do better if I'd ran through it and practiced it, but that just hit me. Um, but that, that moment, I, I picture their minds just kind of freezing because Jesus will start to ask them this question. It's a question of all questions. It's a really good question. Of course it is. It's God asking a question. But this is, uh, this is what he says. This is Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 30, 46. And in this is the psalm that we're going to hit afterwards. It says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? 
This is their legend. This is, their, this is the one that they're waiting for. This is salvation coming to Israel. What do you think of the Messiah, Jesus asked? Whose son is he? Just a few simple words. Whose son is he? Now, they knew. They knew off the bat because there was a promise given to David, like way back, a, a famous king in Israel's history, that from his line, one would come who would sit on the throne for eternity. And so their answer is, they know the answer, and they knew the answer pretty quickly. He says, um, the, son, uh, the son of David, they replied. Well, he said to them, and this is the question. Here comes the complication. Here's, here's Jesus like, okay, we got to process some of this. He says, he said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? You catching it? If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So what's going on here? First, let me say, Jesus is a lot to process. Jesus is a lot to process. But in Israel's history, there was a firm, rooted belief that they knew how God was going to act. They knew what he was going to do. He was going to send a deliverer. They knew that the Messiah, the anointed one, which is what Messiah means, would come and be the salvation of God's people. And so they, they, they planned for him and they, they pictured it and, and they thought of it all in light of David. Because when you talk about kings, David was the standard. Like David was the one that God had worked through David. David was this mighty force for God. David, it says, was a man after God's own heart. And if you watch the story, as God is, is, has brought the people into the promised land, he starts to establish a kingdom under the rule of David. David is a mighty force. He is a warrior. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. David is like, David is like, let me just say it this way. David is the man. David is the one who, who builds armies. David is the one who takes out enemies. David is the one who made the capital in Jerusalem. David is the standard. He is the one that, that, that the Messiah, he might be like him, but he will be, a, the, the way they viewed their history is like, you don't get better than the patriarch. The patriarch sets the stone and sets the standard, and you're going to be like him. And so here's what they think of Jesus. Jesus, when the Messiah comes to earth, when the Messiah comes to town, He's going to act this way. He's going to be powerful. He's going to be mighty. He's going to build himself an army. He's going to come after Israel's oppressors. He's going to anoint, 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 uh, align himself with the powers of the church. They're going to rule with him on the right and on the left. And then Jesus comes as a baby in a manger, as a carpenter and a son of a carpenter. And he starts loving the outcast and coming after the religious institutions. And they're like, Jesus, you are not fitting the picture of David. David's the standard. You're not David. You hear it? You, you get, you get the, that's the problem. The problem is, Jesus, you don't look like what we think you should look like. That's us sometimes. That's the world sometimes. Jesus, you don't look like we think you should look like. Jesus, you don't do the things for me that I think you should do for me. God, you don't respond in the way that I would expect and anticipate you to respond. God, I have this box of how you're to move in my circumstances and situations. And, and when you don't, I've got, a, I've got a real problem with you and I'm stuck with processing. So Jesus asked this question. And the question is a beautiful question. 
It's a complicated question. I, 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 it's not all that complicated, but there's a lot to process in the midst of it. Jesus says, okay, you think I'm supposed to be David. Well, what did David think of the Messiah? David said the Messiah was Lord. And if David says the Messiah is Lord, the Messiah gets to do whatever in the world he wants to do. He doesn't have to fit anybody's standards. He doesn't have to bow down to any Israel's expectations. He doesn't have to be the mighty force of power. He gets to do what he wants, say what he says, and that's what he's saying. He says, you don't think I look like David, but David worships me. Isn't that astounding? You don't think I look like David, but David bows down to me. I am before Abraham was, I am. That's what, that's what keeps getting Jesus in trouble. Jesus is a lot to process because he doesn't look like their picture and he doesn't always look like our picture. And because he doesn't look like our picture and fit our world and our boxes, we say, well, surely, surely he can't be. And Jesus just says, When you're the ultimate, you don't answer to anybody. Jesus is the ultimate. Jesus is the ultimate. Like, he is the ultimate. And here's why it's a lot to process is because I don't know if we fully understand ultimate. You just walk down the, 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 the aisle where you get medicine, and you'll see regular strength, and then you'll find extra strength, and then you'll find mega strength. You know what? And if you have these medicines like this, like Mylanta, you'll find regular strength, and then you'll find extra strength, and then you'll find super strength, and then you'll find um, the ultra super strength. You guys, you know what I'm talking about? And then you'll hit, then you'll hit ultimate strength. And, and here's the question: If you have found the, do you ever have this question as you're walking down the aisles, or when you're about to get a phone program and you start to hear unlimited, and then you're like, what in the world does unlimited mean? I think we have lost the idea of what unlimited or ultimate means. Ultimate means. There ain't nothing underneath you. I mean, there's ain't nothing above you. You are it all. Which is why it's hard to process. That right now, at this very moment, there is nothing more ultimate in the cosmic universe and beyond than Jesus. And yet, like, dummy me, find myself making other things ultimate, right? We make other things ultimate. Sometimes it's my worries I make ultimate. Oh, Jesus, you can't get me past these worries. Or, or you, make, you make people ultimate, and man, they fall in like, oh, man, my ultimate is gone. Or you make, I mean, you fill in the blank of what you, or you make money ultimate, or you make fame or popularity ultimate. We make all of these things ultimate, but if you say, no, Jesus, Jesus, you are ultimate, and I recognize that there's a lot to process there, that Jesus, you are it all. Man, Jesus is ultimate. There is nothing better that you can find to give your life to or worship than him. And so we come to the psalm, Psalm 110. And you'll see, as I read Psalm 110, you'll see what Israel saw. Like, you'll understand, I understand why they wrestled with Jesus. Because when you, see, when you read Psalm 110, you see a powerful, man, I, I'll get these words out eventually. Um, you will see a powerful, mighty warrior. Psalm 110. Of David. A psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. I don't know about you. That is a mighty warrior king that he's talking about. And Jesus comes on the scene as a chubby little baby in a cattle trough, as a carpenter touching lepers and, and forgiving prostitutes. And there's like, where's the army? Where's the battle? Where's the fight? Where, why are we still under oppression? You know what I love about Jesus and the plan of God is it does not look like I would have thought it looked like. For me, it's become the greatest evidence of it. It's like God did not execute his plan in the way that I thought. But it didn't take away from anything that Psalm 110 had said. It's just we're just physical people, right? We think in very physical terms. We think in very much in the real world in which we live. And so we assume that the the greatest enemy that we face are the enemies who are physical and swords and weapons. And and we think about armies. We think about swords and weapons. and, And yet when you watch... Jesus work out the plan of God, it becomes so interesting. Because he is the ultimate king. He is the ultimate king. And he does amass for himself an army. But his army is a group of people that follow him into surrender and into sacrifice. He does does become the perfect king but he's the king who, I don't, even as I say this, I get, you might notice I get a little excited sometimes. Like, he is the king who, who, who makes the decision and the choice and allows himself to wear a, a crown, but it's a crown of thorns. And you're like, that doesn't seem to fit Psalm 110. And, and, and he wears a robe, but it's a, it's a robe that's given to him in mockery, and he endures it, and he is a mighty king all of the while of him being crucified And he wins battles. The battles he wins are not against people. They're spiritual battles taking place. And through his sacrifice, the ultimate king will stand in the gap for his kingdom and die so that death can be defeated. So that sin, guilt, and shame things that his people no longer have to hold on to. And then he, he puts his power inside his people and he says, now I want you to go tell the world of all that I'm doing for the sake of my kingdom. And so he empowers his church and his people to be this mighty force. I, didn't, I accidentally quoted in first service Napoleon. It was more of a paraphrase of Napoleon, but, but if you type in at some point Napoleon's words on Jesus because it is astounding. This is, I, this is the paraphrase. Napoleon will say, I have cap- captured armies. Napoleon say, I have gathered together empires, but I could not do what Jesus did because everything I did I did by force and power and might and strength and army but Jesus somehow did it he did it by love and sacrifice and death and surrendering himself and he will have an army of people willing to follow him into death 
for the sake of love and compassion for the world so that the world can be transformed in the power of the king. He's the ultimate king. He's the ultimate priest. Jesus is the ultimate priest. You don't need any human being to stand in the way between you and God. Because of what Jesus did, and you can read this as you read through the book of Hebrews, there's something that Jesus has done that it says at, the, at, his, at his crucifixion, at his death, that the temple in the, that the curtain in the temple was torn in two, which really meant that people could come into the Holy of Holies, that now we can approach the presence of God at this very moment. This is astounding. This is why Jesus is a lot to process. At this very moment, Jesus is in our midst. At this very moment, his Holy Spirit is at work. At this very moment, we can walk into the presence of God. And it's not through a person on a stage. It's because there is a priest who's prepared the way and gone for us. So that you, no matter what has happened or gone on in your life, you can stand in the presence of the Almighty God. And if that is not something to process, I don't know what is. There is a lot to process. Jesus is a lot to process. He's the ultimate king. He's the ultimate priest. He's the ultimate judge. Scripture will say this at the name of Jesus. I don't know when it looks like. It seems like at the end of all things. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that all of us will give an account of what we did in in the body, whether good or bad. But if Jesus is judged, it means I don't have to be. If Jesus is judged, it means I am free to extend forgiveness. If Jesus is judged, it means I don't I, I can trust his ultimate ultimacy, ultimateness. I don't know the right word there. I can trust his supremacy. Finally, Jesus is perfect. You know, Jesus is a lot to process because there's a lot to process ultimate and there's, it's a lot to process perfect because we are imperfect people. We feel our imperfections. We, we know the world is imperfect. Everything we see is imperfection. I don't know what perfect things we ever see. I don't know if we can actually ever use the word perfect other than to speak of the God who is perfect and so that's hard to process. And so we move to Hebrews. The Hebrews writer will be trying to process who this Jesus is, and he writes to us, go read the book of Hebrews. I'm going to give you the chapter in one second. It's it's worth just going and wrestling through um, this particular chapter in Hebrews, but also the whole book, and you'll be like, what in the world am I reading? What in the world am I talking about? Because some of it's just Old Testament, and God fulfilling all of the Old Testament things through the person of Jesus is absolutely astounding and wonderful, and and you'll get lost in it, and I've got lost in it, and it's it's beautiful. Can I say it's beautiful? Uh, Jesus is perfect. And he'll talk about, he, the Hebrews writer will talk about why perfection was needed. Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 17 through 28. This is speaking of Jesus. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, just a little background, don't get lost. In, he, I, you will get lost if you start researching Melchizedek. He was a king that, that Abraham had come across in his journeys. We don't know a whole lot about him other than it says that he was a king forever and at the same time a priest, which is very, very strange, but very Jesus-like. Anyways, the former regulation is set aside because... It was weak and useless, for the law has made nothing perfect. And a better hope. Something new has been introduced by which we get to draw near to God. 
The law showed us our sin. The law showed us our imperfections, but it didn't help us get closer to God. But something new has been introduced that gives us hope. Something new has been introduced that says we now can draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest. This is Jesus with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many other priests since death prevented them from continuing in the office. The problem of priests is that priests die, right? The problem of human beings is that we die. And so anyone who is going to stand in the gap for us as a priest, the problem is they're human beings. They can't, they can't live forever. They're going to die. And so the pro- there's been many priests is what the Hebrews writer says, because many priests come and many priests go. They die. But because Jesus lives forever... He has a permanent priesthood. You see, you have a permanent priest. Not, a hu- not human like us. But one who is an ongoing priest who is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He goes on to say, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come through him because he has always, always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he did not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins. So the priest, whenever he went into the, the temple, before he went into the temple, he had to make a sacrifice for his own sins. And, and then he could represent the sins of his people. But now if you have a perfect priest... An eternal priest. He no longer has to make a sacrifice for his own sins because he himself is perfect and is the ongoing priest who's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all. And I'll stop reading there because here's the other astounding thing about the nature of the Jesus that we serve. Is not only is he the eternal priest, the sinless priest, I thought I forgot the third. I'm imperfect. The deathless priest, that's what I was trying to say. No, it wasn't. Anyways, forget it. (laughs) Whenever Old Testament, what we might describe today as weirdness, whenever sacrifices were made, you brought the precious lamb to the altar and you killed it. And you're like, that's cruel. Yes, that, that was the point. What it was saying was, you were supposed to die, but this can die in your place. Which is, we don't like that. I don't know if any of us like that, but it was, I like it better than me. <laughs> I like it better than me on the altar. And so that's what the sacrifice was supposed to look like. It was supposed to be, that was supposed to be me on the altar, but, but something has died in my place. And so the sacrificial system was, here, here's the problem, is once you, once you kill that lamb, if you're like me, you mess up again. Any of you mess up more than once? Anybody in the room messed up more than once? You mess up again. And so what you need is you need another sacrifice for that sin. So you have to get another lamb. So you need another priest who lives forever. You need another priest because the priests keep on dying. You need, another, you need another animal because the animals keep on dying. But what if you find a perfect sacrifice that is eternal? And so what Jesus did as priest and sacrifice at the same time is he climbed up on the altar 
So he is at the same time the one interceding for us and at the same time the eternal sacrifice for us. Jesus is a lot to process. It means that he's always taking my sin upon him. It means that he's always at the Father's right-hand side with my name on his lips. And there are moments in my life and moments in your life where you've probably thought, oh, man, things are too far gone now. I'm too far gone now. There's, There's no hope left for me. And what I would say is there is an eternal priest making eternal, who is the eternal sacrifice, who's ultimate and perfect, and a whole lot to process, who is for you. God is really good at executing his plan. And the more you stare at it and look at it, the more you're like, wow, this is a lot to process. But you know what I'm grateful for? It's very easy to respond to. All we got to say is, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I don't fully understand you. Praise God, I don't fully understand you. Because if I understand you, then I've made a God after myself. Jesus, you are so far beyond, and it's because of your beyondness that you are sufficient for whatever it is I'm facing or whatever it is I'm going through, whatever sin has so easily entangled me. And I'll trust you. And I will make you ultimate. that I can find life and and fullness, not in anything else but in you. Jesus said, at a meal with his disciples, knowing so much better than I might have just explained and understanding so much more than I think we'll ever understand in this lifetime, he says this is... This is the body, the eternal body, the perfect body, sacrificed for you. And whenever you do this, I want you to know that I'm at my Father's side, advocating for you. So we take and remember it for him. Wow. He says, this is my blood poured out for you. Whenever you do this, may you know that your sins can be washed clean. Can I process that? I don't know. But man, I will take it. And so we take to our king. We all stand with me. Maybe you're here today and you're like, wow, this is a lot to process. That's okay. Very simple things. Jesus is ultimate and Jesus is perfect. And I'm not. And you're not. And maybe in that imperfection, today you need to lean into that supremacy Maybe in that imperfection today you need to, imperfection, maybe today you need to lean into that grace and say, God, I'm not enough, but you are enough. And so there's people, Dan and Savannah, who are here to to pray with you. If there's anything you could have prayer for, if today you want to give your life to the ultimate, I will tell you there's nothing better that you can give your life to, to know him and to walk with him, to be baptized into him, to step into his beautiful plan that he's been doing throughout history and say, God, my life is yours and I want, to, I want to die with you and I want to be raised to life with you because you are the ultimate. You are perfect. You are all that I need. 
And I want to process you the rest of my life. And I can tell you that when you do that, that Jesus will begin a process in you in which he will transform you into his image. And so that is available for you today as well. Will you all pray with me? Father God, imperfect people. Imperfect people. Sometimes distracted, sometimes caught, sometimes lost, sometimes stubborn. And I just pray that in these moments we might stare at you. And that you might get bigger in our minds. And that we won't wedge you into whatever box we've wedged you into, but no matter what we are facing, you are sufficient for it. And that keeping our eyes on you is the best way in which we can live our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.